Welcome to the Daily Devotions Podcast from Confident Faith. I am Corey J. Mahler, a contributor here at Confident Faith, and I will be your reader today, this sixth Tuesday after Epiphany, the 13th of February, in the year of our Lord, 2024, in the time of Christmas. Today we commemorate Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos. Remembered as missionaries, Aquila and his wife Priscilla met Paul in Corinth, where he joined them in their trade, tent-making. Later traveling with Paul from Corinth to Ephesus, they established a home in the city which served as a sort of headquarters for new converts to Christianity. One such convert was Apollos, who would become known for his preaching and teaching of the Christian faith. He would later travel to Achaia to continue his efforts to spread the gospel. Our readings for today are Psalm 95, Psalm 70, Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 35, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, and paragraphs 20 through 28 of Article 3 of Part 3 of the Small Cult Articles. We will close, as always, with the Lord's Prayer. Today's first reading from the Psalter is the 95th Psalm. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forevermore. Amen. Today's second reading from the Psalter is the 70th Psalm. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha! Aha! May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forevermore. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Job and we will be reading the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 35. Then Job answered and said, 
Truly I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, What are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest, and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless, I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one, therefore I say. He destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away, they see no good. They go like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know that you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us, who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from the book of John, and we will be reading the fourth chapter, verses 46 through 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. 
As he was going down, his servants met him, and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's reading from the Book of Concord comes from the Small Cult Articles, and we will be reading Part 3, Article 3, Paragraphs 20-28. through 28. Here, too, there was neither faith nor Christ. The power of the absolution was not declared to him. Rather, his consolation depended upon his listing of sins and his self-abasement. What torture, fraud, and idolatry this kind of confession has produced is more than can be said. As for satisfaction, this is by far the most complex part of all, for no one can know how much to render for a single sin, let alone how much for all. They resorted to the device of imposing a small satisfaction, which could indeed be rendered, as five our fathers, a day's fast or such. Then, for the rest of their repentance, they were directed to purgatory. Here, too, there was nothing but anguish and misery. Some thought they would never get out of purgatory, According to the old church laws, seven years' penance in purgatory is required for a single mortal sin. Yet confidence was placed in our work of satisfaction. If the satisfaction could be perfect, confidence would be placed in it entirely. Neither faith nor Christ would be necessary, but such confidence was impossible. For even though someone had done penance that way for a hundred years, he would still not know whether he had finished his penance. That meant doing penance forever, and never coming to repentance. Then the Holy See at Rome, coming to the aid of the poor church, invented indulgences. With these, it forgave and remitted satisfaction. First, for a single sin, an indulgence could cancel seven years in purgatory, or an indulgence could cancel a hundred years. They distributed them among the cardinals and bishops, so that one could grant indulgence for a hundred years, and another for a hundred days but the Pope reserved to himself alone the power to cancel the entire satisfaction. Since indulgences began to yield money, and as traffic in bulls became profitable, the Pope devised the golden jubilee year, a truly gold-bearing year, and established it at Rome. He said this would give the cancellation of all punishment and guilt. The people came running, because everyone would gladly be freed from this grievous, unbearable burden. This was meant to find and raise the treasures of the earth. Immediately, the Pope pressed still further and multiplied the golden years one after another. The more he devoured money, the bigger his appetite grew. Later, by his representatives to the countries, the Pope issued his golden years everywhere, until all churches and houses were full of the golden year. Ultimately, he made an inroad into purgatory among the dead. First he founded masses and vigils, and afterward indulgences in the golden year. Finally, souls became so cheap that he released one for a penny. But all this too did nothing. Even though the Pope taught people to depend and trust these indulgences for salvation, he made the matter uncertain again. In his bulls he declares that whoever wants to share 
in the indulgences or a golden year, hast to be contrite, and have confessed and pay money. We have already seen how, with the papacy, contrition and confession are uncertain and hypocritical. Besides, no one knew what soul was in purgatory. If some souls were in purgatory, no one knew who had properly repented and confessed. So the Pope took the precious money, comforting people with his power and indulgence. But then he directed them again to their uncertain works. Now some did not believe themselves guilty of actual sins in thought, word, and deeds. I, and people like me in monasteries and religious communities, wanted to be monks and priests. We fought against evil thoughts by doing such things as fasting, staying awake, praying, saying masses, wearing coarse garments, and sleeping on hard beds. In total sincerity and with great effort, we wanted to be holy. Yet the hereditary, inborn evil sometimes came out in sleep as happens. St. Augustine and St. Jerome, among others, also confess this. Still, each one held the other in high esteem. According to our teaching, some monks were regarded as holy, without sin, and full of good works. Also, since we had more good works than we needed to get to heaven, we could communicate and sell our good works to others. This is actually true. Seals, letters, and examples are at hand to prove that this happened. This concludes our reading from the Book of Concord. I now invite all of you to join me in reciting the Lord's Prayer, one of the most ancient prayers of the Church. I do encourage you to say it aloud if you are somewhere it would be reasonable to do so, but praying it silently is, of course, also fine. The Lord knows what is in your heart. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and grace to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in whatever calling has been given you, or task set before you. Until tomorrow, God be with you.